Tonight's webinar is called What are my legal rights for dyslexia support in school? Everything I do is about um, helping kids to believe in themselves and this applies to every kid but I, I kind of put it on the dyslexia neurodiversity um, uh, I don't know, label whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm a parent myself I have two kids who are um, neurodiverse um, one of which is dyslexic and so this is a bit of a passion thing for me as well so um, the way I help kids to believe is I look to support the supporters and I, ho I hope to share information and inspiration to um, supporters of dyslexic learners and I do and I work with parents I actually coach um, young people as well children and young people um, I work with teachers and specialist dyslexia supporters and I do talks around the country and so forth so um, Mostly, if you're looking for me online, then you'll either know about me through the Studying with Dyslexia blog or through my work with Parenting Dyslexia, of which there's a Facebook group, which you're invited to if you're a parent. Um, and there's about 2,000 members on that group at the moment. And I'm sure some of you are um, here with me this evening, um, which is lovely. I am going to introduce Nicole. So, uh, Nicole, are you there? I am here. I hope you can hear me, John. I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you so perfect, much for joining perfect. us this evening. Not a problem. Thank you for having um, me. I'm sorry about the, the, the camera issue, um, but I'm really chuffed that you can, you can join us this evening. And, and there's lots of questions, lots of topics to go through. And I really appreciate your time. So thank you for that. Not a problem. Okay. Let me just, um, let me tell you what I know about you, Nicole, because, um, so I've got a few points here on, the, on this slide. So I understand that you're a specialist education solicitor at SEN Legal Limited. Um, SEN Legal, is, as I understand it, is a law firm um, in, based in Bury St Edmunds that works specifically with education and supporting special educational needs and disabilities. Um, it's, that's right, isn't it? That's absolutely right, yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit about yourself. So um, I understand you've been working within the SEN area for about 11 years. Yeah, it's 11 years now. So um, whilst I was doing my, my legal training and my legal practice course um, for five and a half years, I actually worked with young people and adults with special educational needs. Um, and then that obviously stepped over quite nicely once I had qualified um, into working for SEN Legal. So I've been there now for, high, for five and a half years as well, um, practicing solely in the arena of special educational needs law. Wow, cool. Now, you, you told me that you were a social care lead at SEN Legal. What does that mean? I am. So um, what that means basically is that I have an area of special interest um, when it comes to cases which have a very social, uh, a very heavy social care element. Mm. Um, so if people come to the practice and in addition to the special educational needs um, side of things, they also have quite significant social care issues. Maybe they need um, additional social care support around the school day or potentially um, a 52-week um, placement for their child then it's likely that case would come to me um, because I have um, the, the lead in, in the firm in social care. Awesome thank you. Now um, one of the things I, I, I really like when I've heard you speaking Nicole particularly in front of parents is the fact that you're a parent yourself um, and and I like the way you relate to other parents because you're kind of there, you know, you're a parent as well, so you know what it's like to be, be bringing up a child. So how does that inform your work as a solicitor? Oh, I mean, 
it would be impossible for it not to because as much as um, I think it's very easy to think of solicitors as being these um, heartless robots, um, which <laughs> sometimes we can come across as, um, you know, but when I think when you're a parent yourself, you, cer you certainly have that element of understanding of, of what parents are actually going through themselves and how they might be feeling about their child struggling. I mean, you know, John, my daughter has her difficulties with school as well. Um, and so I've very much been there um, and hopefully touching pieces of wood that means that I'm a bit more approachable not quite as scary as sometimes some solicitors are right right no I, I, I must admit I've not um, come across any sense of fear in dealing with you so um, <laughs> so so I'm really glad that you're here and I hope that no no parents out there are feeling any kind of fear and perhaps they're gaining a sense of hope by you being here um, okay Right. So, um, so just, so just to sort of just mention it again. So what Nicole, what I did was I asked them um, the parents on my parenting dyslexia group mm -hmm. to send me a bunch of questions around support for dyslexia in, in the school environment. Um, and we had a quite a whole mix of, um, questions, um, so much so because we had so many it would be difficult to go specifically and then a lot of those questions were specific to their child's needs and it wouldn't be right to to share that on mm -hmm. on the webinar format mm -hmm. um so so we we've bunched these um we've, we've basically taken the questions we, and we've kind of um bunched them into topics so that um we can kind of sort of work our way around the topics and we have three topics um so let me just show that slide so we've got sen support and um, reasonable adjustments and ehc needs assessments mm -hmm. so given that it's it's 10 past eight now there's quite a lot to talk about i'll be keeping an eye on the question and answers as well so that we can um sort of make sure we're touching the right the right sort of topics and so forth um so let's start with um, SEN support. So can I just ch start with saying that with the parents that I speak to often, um, they seem to be quite surprised that um, dyslexia is something that should be by law supported within the school environment. It's kind of accepted that it is, mm -hmm. but so often there seems to be a lot of misinformation about what a parent's expectation could be for their child. Certainly in my own case, with my own daughter who got diagnosed at age 12, um, we were told that, oh, your daughter doesn't need support because she, she's probably going to pass. Um, and and that, that felt quite disempowering. That was quite worrying. Um, it it kind of gave the wrong impression. What, what can you tell us to, today about SCN support? Well, I think, I think you're right. And to be honest, whether, where the misinformation sits is very much a postcode lottery. Right. Um, so the approach that we come across, obviously I come across um, local authorities from all over England and Wales from right to the bottom down, bottom of the country, right up to the top. And it really hugely varies from local authority area to local authority area. So some local authorities will have a sort of unwritten policy um, that they don't assess for dyslexia, that they don't um, provide support for dyslexia, that they won't issue HC plans for dyslexia, um, that dyslexia isn't a special educational need that they recognise, which is just bizarre given that it's um, been established in law, that the Equality Act applies um, to, to children, young people and adults who have dyslexia. 
Um, and so there is a lot of misinformation out there. And I know um, that I, well, I can imagine a lot of parents that are listening tonight have probably heard some version of, you know, your child is too intelligent, you know, alongside the dyslexia, so they don't need support or you're not entitled to that support. You know, you're not bad enough. Mm. Um, so, so that, you know, you wouldn't qualify. You don't need that additional help. What I can say with absolute certainty, regardless of your local authority's policy, is that that is only local authority policy. It's not binding. It doesn't trump the law. It doesn't do away with the Equality Act, um, the Code of Practice, the Children and Families Act. Um, so even if your local authority's approach is um, that they don't recognise dyslexia, that they don't do X, Y or Z to meet the needs of dyslexic children, that is actually not the legal position, that's just the policy. And where policy breaches law, it can be challenged. Um, so I know it is hugely disempowering. I hear that so often from parents, they feel that they're hitting a wall. Um, you know, they're reading the information online. They're being told, um, this is what you could be entitled to. And then the school um, and the local authority are knocking them back and saying, that's not what we do. Mm. Um, but there very much is support there and and it's across different categories so um, it isn't only for children that have education health and care plans there are duties um, which schools have towards children with dyslexia whether they have EHC plans or not um, and yeah I mean I've heard of something called a nominal budget mm -hmm. uh, which apparently is is some funding that is given for SEN supporting schools is that is that still a thing is that something it is. that's yeah, so all schools should receive um, this notional budget um, and that is a budget which should be used to meet the needs of children with SEN within the school and that's all the children, not the children with EHC plans whose funding will come from the local authority direct. The problem with those budgets is that um, often the actual sum of money which should follow a child into a school doesn't, so you might find a school isn't receiving full funding in the first place and secondly, that budget actually isn't ring-fenced. So although there is a notional budget that a school holds for special educational needs, it is not ring-fenced off. So yeah. there is no absolute guarantee that that is what that money will be used for. But in theory, that money should be available. Right, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard talk of that money being used for... TAs to support the whole class rather than any mm -hmm. individual child and that, that, that kind of thing so um, mm -hmm. that's that's quite a concern so so if, if we're, we're going to talk about education health and care plans later but if, if we're not going down that route to get support um, you know it's interesting you said earlier that there's local authority policy and then there's obviously law above that as well and, and that it can be challenged now um my my concern is that if i know that something is local authority policy um i might be quite reluctant to challenge that anyway because i might might think there's no point mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts about that i mean what i would say and it's going to be a typical solicitor's response i'm afraid <laughs> is that it's only in challenging things that we can change them Right. And it can be quite um, scary to go against the local authority. I know it definitely feels like a David and Goliath task, especially if you are a parent acting on your own. Hmm. Um, but these policies will only be changed if we highlight them, if we discover them, and then if we challenge them and have them renamed. 
Um, and you know, if you are, if you do find you're getting nowhere because of the local authority and their decision making, and again, I don't want to sort of skip ahead and start talking about EHC plans. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we're talking at the more um, you know beginners level. Where you really want to start is with your school, um, with your class teacher, with your senko, and actually be talking to them about the support that could be available um, to your child through the send support. Um, which is it, it, it's not an EHC plan so you wouldn't necessarily have a legally enforceable document in the same way as you would if you had an EHC plan um, but the school does have duties um, towards a child with dyslexia at the SEND support level so um, in essence as soon as a pupil is identified as having special educational needs which of course dyslexia would be one um, the schools actually have to take action they have to do something to remove the barriers to learning um, and that would include putting effective special educational provision in place and that is completely apart from local authority policy so there's very clear guidance in the um, SEND code of practice and it also links back um, into the school's duty to make reasonable adjustments under the Equality Act um, right. so, sorry no, no, that, that, that's going to be the next topic, reasonable adjustments. Yeah. That's the term I hear an awful lot. Absolutely. And I mean, it's difficult to talk about one without talking about the other because they are so interlinked, but I will try to keep it distinct. Mm. Um, mm. But even if your local authority might have a policy of, you know, we don't look, you know, we don't um, make provision for dyslexia or we don't recognise dyslexia, we don't assess for dyslexia, mm. that is in no way, um, th that doesn't diminish the responsibilities it doesn't take away the guidance under the code of practice which any parent can go out there and access it's readily available for free online mm. um, you just need to google send code of practice um, and the send support sections um, you can actually find from paragraphs it's about 644 onwards um, and that sets out actually exactly what the school should be looking at doing at the send support level right so so as, as a parent then Am I right in thinking that we are entitled to push for that support within a school environment, regardless of whether we go down the to the HCP route, which we'll, obviously we'll talk about. But in terms of wanting to to get better support for our child, um, we we can keep pushing and not worry about pushing because we 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 have the law on our side to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as parents, and I hear this time and time again. Um, I know it's so frustrating to know that something isn't working, um, you know, that your child is coming home every day from school exhausted, you know, potentially they've been masking, they're hugely anxious, um, you can, that they're incredibly intelligent, you can have a really good conversation with them, and yet they just can't put those ideas down onto paper, they can't organise those ideas. Yes. And nobody else seems to recognise that that's happening. Mm. Um, but as mum, as dad, you know full well that that is what's happening and no one will listen to you. And that is why your first port of call does have to be um, going into the school, arrange a meeting, um, take somebody with you. Um, if you think that you might potentially get a little bit upset, it's quite an upsetting thing to talk about. Um, take somebody along to support you, to take notes, to be a calming influence. Um, set aside a decent amount of time you know trying to catch a teacher on the door isn't going to get anybody anywhere fast mm. um, and you want to involve the Senko and the class teacher in that meeting as a minimum 
Um, and of course, there might be other people in, in the makeup of a particular school who should come along as well. Um, but it's about getting the ball rolling, sitting down, talking about your concerns, seeing if any of those concerns are shared by the school and actually considering whether some support needs to be put in place at the centre support level. Okay, so as a parent then, um, how, how do I measure my concerns? Am I, am I, am I basing this on, on attainment or, or should I be basing my concerns around unlocking potential? It, that's a big question. Um, mm. Basically, there is no right or wrong answer to that question because it will all completely depend on the individual child. So schools love to fixate on attainment. And of course, dyslexia is a specific learning difficulty that occurs across a, a range of cognitive abilities, um, including children who are extremely, extremely intelligent, hmm. um, who, because of their extreme intelligence, can mask their difficulties really, really very well. And that's where um, schools might turn around and say, well, we're not uh, in agreement. There, we don't need to provide anything at the SEND support level because Johnny is, you know, hitting his targets. Johnny is at the expected level. Mm. Um, but that might not be right for Johnny. Um, and there's actually specific provisions in the code of practice. It's at paragraph 6.23, which makes very clear that the fact that a child is achieving in line with their, um, their peers um, does not necessarily mean that they don't have a special educational need that might require some support because if Johnny is currently getting C's when he could be getting A's then yeah. that's indicative um, that for him some support might need to be in place regardless of the fact that his attainment is actually at the average level so the fact that your child is doing okay shouldn't dissuade you from pushing for more so that they are able um, to achieve more in line with their peers um so that that's what i would say in relation to children um who really are doing okay at school if you like yeah. in respect of children who maybe aren't doing so well aren't attaining anywhere near where you might expect them to mm. um and of course there's a whole host of associated difficulties that can come with that by way of anxiety and potentially um, depressive conditions as well of course um it's about looking at your child and it, to a certain extent, comparing them to their peers, only in making the argument that actually your child has difficulties, which are placing them at a disadvantage in comparison to their, to their peers who, who don't have these conditions. Um, because in doing that, what you're scaffolding is the argument that the school needs to make reasonable adjustments, which may be by way of send support, maybe by way of something a little less formal, to actually level the playing field. Um, and to put your child um, in a position where they can at least try um, to, to achieve the same benefits as the other children. And if that means, um, for want of a better word, positive discrimination, mm. so actually providing children with special educational needs with extra in comparison um, to their peers, then that is what should be happening. Right. OK. So as a parent, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling then that um, I, I, I am allowed is the wrong word but you know what I mean mm -hmm. to go into a school and say I don't feel that my child is um, reaching their potential something's mm -hmm. holding them back they're clearly um, intelligent enough verbally often in the case of dyslexia a lot of kids are very verbally articulate and can talk about their learning mm -hmm. but when it comes to getting it down on paper that might be a different matter or, or getting it 
expressed in the way that the, the curriculum determines you know and mm -hmm. i'm thinking of spelling and grammar marks and stuff like that is often mm -hmm. um the bugbear of mine so um okay so if we if we to go on to the next topic then um which is the term reasonable adjustments which you mentioned earlier so could you just um explain what that term is because i think this is something that is often used perhaps in in, in the legal speak um, I know it's used a lot in sort of um, assistive technology circles where people are uh, providing software that helps with um, challenges associated with dyslexia and other um, specific learning differences. Um, what's your take on this term, reasonable adjustments, and how, as parents, should we understand this term? Okay, um, broadly. So you should understand it very broadly because um, what is a reasonable adjustment, um, it, it can really be anything. And again, it's looking at both the child in front of you, what reasonable adjustments can be made to meet their needs, and then looking at the school and actually what adjustments would it be reasonable for them to make. Um, so the reasonable adjustments duty, I'm not going to get too legally about it. Um, it comes from the Equality Act 2010. And it places um, schools, um, be they mainstream, special academies, um, under, a, an, under a duty to make reasonable adjustments to meet the needs of children with special educational needs. And there are three elements to that. Um, so that is um, provisions, criteria and practices. So that would be you know, your whole school approach, um, how you generally meet the need, um, meet the needs of children with dyslexia in the school as a whole, multi-sensory teaching, um, whole school training, those sorts of things. Then there's auxiliary aids. Um, and that's a relatively new, I say new, it was 2012, um, but it actually became a requirement. So maybe not that, not, not that new anymore. Um, but auxiliary aids um, would be anything that provides additional support or assistance to, to a child who's under a disability. So that could be a piece of equipment, um, and that could range anywhere from coloured overlays um, up to assistive technologies, um, um, speech to text, the provision of laptops, one-to-one um, -one support from a member of staff. I mean, it really can be anything um, that is the, the provision of additional support or assistance um, to a child with dyslexia. So um, in, sorry. So I'm just thinking then, so, so if, if, so in the case of my my daughter, when she she got a, a an assessment for her dyslexia, there were a bunch of recommendations made by the educational psychologist mm -hmm. that um, I was able to take into the school and say, okay, this is what's been recommended that would help her with, with her learning. Mm -hmm. um, that part of that could be extra time in exams. Part of that was like using a laptop to type. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and there were other things in there about, you know, sort of if there's any sort of anxiety in there, finding a system by which to ask for time out, that kind of thing. Um, so we're talking about quite a wide gambit of stuff that could happen to support a child's learning in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, differentiated curriculum as well. I didn't say that, but that's a really mm. obvious one. Yeah, and Ofsted, um, Ofsted um, assesses on that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, these are all things that can and will be taken into account when Ofsted um is is assessing schools and, and educational provisions um how well it meets the needs of um, children with disabilities and how it um, complies with its um, duties under the equality act is, is very much a hot topic i'm sure you can imagine yeah um, and something that is very closely being watched because 
certainly working um, in the field that I work in um, and things are things are improving but there certainly was a bit of a culture a bit of a tendency um, that children with special educational needs were being funneled out um, of educational settings because they really didn't want to make those reasonable adjustments and they wanted to find reasons why they wouldn't be appropriate um, and so Ofsted very very much have a very BDI on schools and the way that they are meeting these people's needs now. Mm, that, that sounds good, it sounds like that's starting to become more of a system based thing that they're, they're being more aware of what should be should be in place. Absolutely and I think in no small part that's because parents are becoming so much better versed in what they're entitled to and are so much more willing to push for it mm. um, because again the only way that we can overcome these difficulties is if we identify them and we challenge them so that we can put them right. Yeah yeah and there's um, I, I guess it's important for us us all as parents to, to perhaps know where to find the information that, that informs us as well so um i i think you've sent me some links which i'll share with parents on this on this webinar and um, by email and um, where they can go to get information that will sort of help help educate them more about what, what they can ask for and so forth mm -hmm. yeah so there's loads of really useful guidance um from the equality and human rights commission um, and if you actually go to their web page they have loads of individual documents that cover all sorts um, of different issues that parents might face um, yeah. so that's definitely a good one to look at right awesome okay um, now I can see a bunch of questions coming in and we've currently got um, 14 open questions um, mm. which we will kind of get to towards the end but um, I think the big juicy part of this webinar will be the, um, the next section which I think we should make a start on and that is um, EHC needs assessments. Mm -hmm. So well, straight away, there's a little bit of jargon there. What, what is an EHC needs assessment? Okay, so an EHC needs assessment is, um, as it says, it's an assessment um, and it's the preliminary step um, to establishing whether or not a child might need an education, health and care plan. Now an education, health and care plan it's a statutory document that sets out all of a child's education, health and care needs um, and the educational sections of that document, which would be the sections B, F and I, are absolutely legally enforceable against the local authority. So any provision that's written into section F of an EHC plan has to be provided by the local authority. Um, they have to make sure that that's in place. So your first step to getting an EHC plan is requesting an EHC needs assessment. Um, and parents are often dissuaded from doing that. And to be honest, we're not quite sure why as lawyers, um, because schools tend to act as a bit of a soundboard for the local authority. They'll put forward the policies, you know, they've seen the criteria documents, oh, your child won't meet the criteria, there's no point. But it all comes back to my earlier point, which is that local authority policy is not law. Um, and the law is actually very much more in favor of the child. And certainly when you're looking at the EHC needs assessment, um, because the, the actual legal test for an EHC needs assessment is that a child has or may have special educational needs and may require provision to be made in accordance with an EHC plan. So that threshold is actually really low. You don't even have to have a diagnosis. So if parents are being battered back saying, 
you need a diagnosis before we can assess. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, not only does it completely contravene the law, but it makes absolutely no sense that a child would need to be assessed before they will agree to assess. Right. Um, yeah. So we're gonna ask a question. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of thinking out loud. So um, an EHC needs assessment then. Is, mm -hmm. is that a diagnostic assessment or is that a, just purely a, this is what your child's struggling with in class and this is how we might, how they should be supported. Uh, is it an alternative to a diagnostic assessment? Potentially not. So if you are granted an needs assessment, so if the local authority agree to assess, what they have to do as a minimum, so under the law, the absolute bare minimum that they have to do in terms of expert assessment is getting an assessment from an educational psychologist. Now, I have seen some absolutely dire educational psychology assessments come out of EHC needs assessments. Um, and, you know, you could put it down to a whole number of things. Um, too many kids, not enough EPs, not enough money in the coffers. Um, but what you would tend to find is that these assessments are going to be very, very vague. Um, you know, they'll come along. Hopefully there will be some standardised testing done. There may or may not be um, some form of diagnostic assessment and diagnosis, diagnosis may or may not be made. It really depends, um, again, on the area and on the EP. I mean, I've seen some very, very good reports and I have seen um, some young people who come out of the EHC needs assessment process with um, diagnoses um, of dyslexia or, for example, where that EP is also a specialist um teacher in mathematics also with diagnoses of dyscalculia as well so it can be done um but there's not necessarily any guarantee that it absolutely will be done right okay okay so so i guess this this then takes us on to the whole kind of thing about the ehcp now one one question that i will be specific about um in, in, in my list was mm -hmm. that um I'm trying to find it on my list, but it basically it said that I was um, the parent said that I've been told that dyslexia doesn't count for EHCP support. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Completely unlawful. It's unlawful. Completely unlawful. Um, so actually, local authorities that have blanket policies like that actually leave themselves vulnerable to challenge in the High Court um, through judicial review, which is basically. Um, a way that you challenge a public body's unlawful behaviour. So blanket policies, um, for a start, it completely disregards the fact that dyslexia is in fact um, a disability that's covered under the Equality Act, and it completely disregards the significant difficulties um, that children and young people with dyslexia face every day. I mean, I'm very much preaching to the choir, <laughs> speaking to parents of um, children with dyslexia, I don't need to tell you the difficulties that they face. Um, but absolutely not. Local authorities cannot refuse assessment purely on the basis that they don't support dyslexia or that they won't issue EHC plans for dyslexia. And if you have had a decision like that, I really, really recommend that you do take advice from a specialist lawyer in the area um, because there is very good potential there that that policy um, could actually be challenged by way of judicial review and the as I say, bonus um, to that being that there may well be legal aid funding available for that to happen. Okay so um, just playing devil's advocate for the moment because I, I mean I've seen some of the local authorities and the way they talk about 
um, dyslexia and there's some confusion about whether dyslexia is a thing um, and that there's often referred yeah. to as literacy difficulties or um, mm-hmm. so it doesn't they don't sometimes don't even sort of specifically talk about dyslexia now um, in the Equalities Act itself um, oh, maybe it's the Disabilities Act I, you know I'm not a big big kind of law guy as you know but um, does it specifically mention dyslexia as a disability so dyslexia is a dis- sorry yeah so so does it mention dyslexia as a disability um and why is it a disability if, if it doesn't mention it what what's the what's the test if you like for that for that saying this is something that needs to be supported under that act so it the, the test um for whether or not something is covered under the act it looks at whether um, the person suffering from um, the condition, so for, for argument's sake, let's call it condition rather than disability, um, suffers from a substantial disadvantage um, in comparison with non-disabled persons or persons without that condition, um, and that, that that impairment has a long-term and substantial adverse effect on their ability to carry out normal day-to-day activities. Um, so that's the test that you're looking at when you're trying to decide whether or not um, the, the Equality Act is invoked, um, really with regards to pretty much all disabilities. I mean, this isn't just looking at SEM, this is looking at disabilities on a wider criteria. Um, but the actual issue of disability, um, dyslexia um, as being covered by the Equality Act was actually challenged um, through case law initially. Um, and so that was a, an adult man, actually. Um, and I believe he was a policeman who had found himself a victim of a local authority policy when he was going through his schooling that did not deal with dyslexia. And actually he successfully managed to bring a claim against the local authority for failing to meet his, his needs um, on the basis that it was in fact a, a protected um, characteristic under the Equality Act. Right, so, so it meets the description of what a disability is. Absolutely. Thus, supposedly should unlock the, the support. Yes. Well, okay. it unlocks it unlocks the duties. The duties, okay. The duties to make reasonable adjustments. Right. Yes, because we don't always see the support, do we? Of course. Okay. So, um, so just just for clarification, then, when you talk about EHCPs, uh, mm-hmm. um, education, health, and care plans, I mean, obviously, I'm 48. I'm a bit older, and I I remember a system. Um, there was a different system before this, wasn't there? Yes. And, so, and do we need to just clarify that? what we're talking about yeah so education health and care plans um, apply only in england um, and they are how england has replaced the education act of 1996 um, which previously um, provided children with statements of special education that was it i was trying to find the word yeah Yeah. statements so statements of special educational needs and at the moment actually that um, regime is still enforced in wales so Wales is bringing in its own update, um, which was actually supposed to come in in 2015, um, and it's still not arrived yet. They're still sort of slowly chugging away towards it. I think now they're saying it should come into force next year, um, where they will be um, updating, if you like, their system. Obviously, law from 1996 isn't terribly fit for purpose in 2020. Right. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, it, the EHC plans are for England only, um, but statements of special educational needs and all of that law and all of that case law is still very much applicable in Wales at the moment. Okay, okay. Um, 
just very rare at the time, um, about 20 minutes towards the end of mm-hmm. this session. So, um, so I guess you know, the, 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 the idea with this webinar was to, to kind of give some information to parents who are, who are considering approaching either the school or the local authority about getting support and what they could do to prepare to, to embark maybe on um, going for an EHCP. And mm-hmm. um, what advice would you give at, at this stage for someone who who um, is worried about their child? Can see maybe they have suspicions that their child is dis- has dyslexia, or maybe they do have a diagnosis, but the school isn't giving any support. I mean, some one of the comments on here um, I'm seeing in the question and answers is, is about you know well well we we went to the LA and they didn't do anything. Um, What's your advice for parents as they consider any, um, um, applying for an EHCP or at least the initial assessment? Okay. What should we do to prepare for that process? Uh, the best thing that you can do to prepare is just, and it sounds very bizarre, but disregard any hurdles that the local authority or the school on behalf of the local authority might put in your way. So the, as I said, the actual legal test um, for an EHC needs assessment is set out in the Children and Families Act, it's at section 36.8, and that test is that your child has or may have special educational needs and may require provision in accordance with an EHC plan. And when I'm dealing with my clients um, who come to me and they want me to write this initial request for them, um, what we do is, is two headings. So you get your two parts of the test, has or may have special educational needs, and may require provision in accordance with the EHC plan and start noting down all of the information that you can think of that relates to those headings. So has or may have special educational needs, um, any diagnoses that your child has, you, want, you would want to list them there, um, talk about when those diagnoses were made, how they were made and any information that led to that. Um, mm. If your child doesn't have diagnoses yet, that's not a problem. You'd be talking a lot more functionally what are you seeing at home? What are you seeing at school? Bearing in mind that these are supposed to be holistic. Your child doesn't power down at the end of a school day. If they're perfectly fine at school, and by perfectly fine, I mean incredibly quiet and sat at the back of the classroom, not making a fuss. But when they come home, they are um, anxious. They're potentially self-harming. That's something, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of at the moment. Um, Not able to sleep or sleeping too much. Um, not motivated to do things around the school day and because they're so exhausted it's listing all of that because those are all indicative that your child may have a special educational need um, Mm. which would satisfy the first arm of that test and then the second half um, which would be may require provision to be made in accordance with an EHC plan what you want to be talking about actually is what has been tried if anything I mean hopefully by the time that you get to this point, you the school will have made some reasonable adjustments um, under the Equality Act, and you can say these are the strategies that have been tried. Um, because what you're trying to show, um, and you don't have to show it absolutely, you only have to create um, the impression that there may be um, an EHC plan required at this point, is to show that the school, even if they make all of their reasonable adjustments, even if they use all of that emotional budget cannot meet your child's needs and that actually the local authority then need to step in under a statutory plan 
to provide the funding to make sure that the required support is actually put into place. So it's really practical. I mean, if you get a 60 page form from the local authority and 60 pages sometimes has been quite modest, I've seen longer, there is no no need, um, absolutely no need for that to be completed. There's no requirement under the act for you to fill out any particular form. Um, You can do it on a letter. You know, obviously we're very mindful um, that a lot of children with dyslexia will have parents with dyslexia as well. And the thought of filling out a 60 page form could not be more off-putting um, for mm. that parent to have to do. So do it. I mean, it should be in writing for reasons um, that you can, you can prove delivery, that you can prove when you sent it so that the various timescales and things um, can kick in and you can calculate them. But you don't have to jump through the various rings and something that's really important, just feeding back into um, the send support stage, is a lot of parents find that they're pushed back um, or that their assessment request is refused on the basis that their child hasn't been a certain amount of sessions of assess, plan, do, review, um, which is the graduated approach that actually is implemented at the send support stage. So that's where a child, where the school basically put in provision from their own resources. And over a certain period of time, they review it, um, make any necessary changes, then implement um, the new provision and so on and so forth. But there is actually no requirement for that to have happened in order for you to make a request for an EHC needs assessment. You can skip straight to that stage um, if you need to, or indeed if you want to. That is your right under the law. Thank you. Okay, right. So, um Nicole, thank you. We've got 25 questions now okay. um, and we, we have about 13 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just um, quickly scoot through them um, and just sort of pick out the ones that I think you haven't touched on in terms okay. of answering, if that's okay. Um, so um, obviously what I will do is I will forward the questions to you anyway, just so that you, you know what people have been asking and, and certainly parents um well they'll have your email address because that's on here and i'll I'll make sure they get it in an email as well so um just very very quickly see how many we can get through um so i've been told that no one tests with dyslexia anymore i've also been told that school has a dyslexia uh, school is dyslexia friendly and that they do not make specific adjustments all teachers are teaching to include people supposedly is this true uh maybe a yes or no answer there perhaps um Oh, it's difficult with two questions there. Um, is this true? The answer is yes. <laughs> I think there's two questions in there. So okay, all right. Yes. So so people test for dyslexia, right? That's a yeah. That's got to be a yes, surely. Yes, people yeah. do test. For, people do test for dyslexia, um, and also with regards to dyslexia friendly approach and all teachers teaching that way. I would like to think the answer to that is yes, um, yeah. because schools should be making reasonable adjustments to make sure that dyslexic people can access the curriculum. But that does not necessarily mean just because it, because it's a dyslexia friendly approach that that is what's right for your child. Got it. Thank you. The other thing I'll throw in there as well: if your if your school is saying that they're dyslexia friendly, I would challenge the criteria by which they say that. Um, there's there's a couple of organisations: there's the British Dyslexia Association, as well as an organisation called Crested, that do assess schools for their um dyslexia friendly provision so um if it's a local authority saying oh this school's dyslexia friendly 
just dig a bit, dig a bit deeper. That's something that's come up a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Um, so if you have a child going to an independent school, yeah. are they are they covered by everything you've talked about this evening? Yeah. So independent schools also have to make adjustments under the Equality Act. Um, this is a fact that some independent schools do ignore, and I have unfortunately been involved in more claims against independent schools for failing to make reasonable adjustments yeah. um, than I have in relation to any other school, if truth be told. Um, so yes, independent schools still do have to um, comply with their Equality Act duties. And just as sort of like an added bonus bit of information, if you are independently paying um, for your child's school, school fees in an, in, at an independent school, there is an expectation that they will be providing your child with a suitable standard of teaching that's appropriate for them. And if they're not, actually, there may also be a, a claim under the Consumer Credits Act um, for, for them breaching their contract and not providing your child with appropriate teaching. Right, okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, so someone, um, so one of the one of the parents said that we recently challenged challenged it and quoted the law, but the local authority ignored us. So, what do you do in that situation? Mm, it depends. Okay, I don't know. There, we we recently challenged it and quoted law. Yeah. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what you challenged. Um, if it's challenged a decision um in relation to an EHC needs assessment so the local authority said no to assess um and you pointed out the correct law and the local authority still ignored you then you do have a right of recourse to the SEND tribunal um that is the court where you can appeal such decisions they're completely independent of local authority decision making and if that is what you're talking about I would absolutely recommend that you do pursue that because the number of these appeals that are successful um, far outweigh the number. I mean, I think the most recent figures are about 96% of all appeals are successful, something like that. Um, so if you've quoted the law, you've been ignored, challenge it, go to the tribunal. Right, thank you. Um, uh, Andrew Curtis, you've given me a number of questions. Uh, just uh, the, the one I'm going to mention, and please do email Nicole your other questions. Uh, we've had to pay for private tuition throughout the lockdown. Because the school didn't provide any extra support for our son, can we recoup these costs through the nominal budget? So I'm assuming, if you're talking about the, the notional budget, that this is a person that doesn't have an EHC plan. And Andrew, if I'm wrong, do contact me. Um, and we can talk it through. Um, unfortunately, that the answer to that is is likely to be no. I mean, there's no harm in asking, um, but the likelihood that the school will reimburse you for provision that you've put in place during the lockdown is extremely slim. I mean, there are unfortunately parents out there who do have education, health, and care plans who, um, in theory, should be better protected. Um, who are in just a, in just as dire a situation um, because of COVID-19 and the fact that nobody can anticipate it and what came of it. Um, but if you aren't getting any support from the school um, or they aren't complying with their Equality Act obligations, then I would definitely be getting onto the school um, to, to challenge them on that point and ask them what exactly they um, intend to do in respect of supporting your son. Awesome, thank you. 
Okay, um, I'm just kind of um, whizzing through these questions. So Colette, thank you for your question. Um, I, I, I think we've answered your questions there, but um, do, do say so uh, if we haven't. Um, uh, Juanita Lendon, do let me know. Uh, please email me direct and I'll, I'll signpost you as to where you can go for assessments for dyslexia. There's a, there's a whole bunch of resources and organisations that can help with that. Um, uh, okay, yeah, uh, a quick one from Louise Hall. The Quality Act 2010, um, does that only cover England or does it cover, um, I mean, she's mentioned Wales, but obviously there's also Scotland as well to think about. It Northern does, Europe. it covers Wales and Scotland, so it's not just England. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, so uh, I'll just keep going through. When are you in Ah, yeah, okay, here's an interesting one. Um, when are you entitled to an assessment by an educational psychologist? Is it the school's decision? Or they seem to be reluctant. Mm -hmm. I bet they are, because ultimately it would be them. Um, I'm assuming that we're talking at the SEND support level here, which would mean that that money will be coming from the notional budget. And as I've said, sometimes um, that budget is already spent or it was never there in the first place. Right. Um, the involvement of an educational psychologist is something that you can request um, and the school, if it's appropriate, should be putting that into place. Um, I've already signposted you to the SEND code of practice. So if you do go and have a look at that and look at um, it's from about 650. I haven't got it open in front of me. Um, I think it's about 655, um, but apologies, I might be out on a few paragraphs and that actually sets out um, when schools and parents should be looking to involve external specialists, which would, of course, include bringing in an EP. Um, but in really basic terms, it's looking at the, that the provision has been put into place, the extent support, the assess plan do review, and the pupil is still continuing to make less than the expected cost, uh, progress, um, despite those interventions. That's when schools should be looking to involve specialists but they can involve specialists at any point. So they could do it earlier than that if they wanted to. Okay. Um, I'm gonna finish with one last question. Um, I mean, it's, it's shot up to 31. There's quite a few there, but um, so, um, but I'm gonna finish with this one before we then go on to, to the last couple of slides as we close this session out. Um, what are the benefits of having an EHC plan? Okay. First and foremost, enforceability. So an EHC plan, when it's well, well written, beg pardon, tripping over my words, <laughs> um, will set out um, in very clear detail all of your child's special educational needs in section B. This then places the local authority under an obligation to include provision to meet all of those identified needs in section F. And once that provision is written in section F, it has to be provided. And that money actually completely separate um, to the normal sum of money that follows your child into school every year. And in addition to the notional budget, um, it unlocks additional funding. So exactly how much that provision costs is what the local authority should provide the school to put it into place. Um, and if at any point it isn't provided, it's really, really easy to challenge. So when you're at SEND support level, quite often you find that parents and schools end up in disagreement about exactly what the level um, of provision should be. You know, oh, we won't try that now, we'll try that the next cycle of assess plan do review. 
Um, but none of that comes into play when you've got an EHC plan. It's really, really clear cut. That provision has to be in place. And if it's not, you challenge the local authority. And how it's really helpful for parents, and I have had cases where this has happened, is even if the local authority have handed over the cash, so for example, they've given school £30,000 and they've said, that is for this child, pay the one-to-one, get the specialist dyslexia teacher in, um, purchase the auxiliary aids, you know, whatever the provision is, and then that provision doesn't materialise, but the money is gone, that is not the parent's problem. The local authority will just have to cough up the cash again to make sure that that provision is put into place. Okay. Thank you. So, okay, let's um, close this session. And um, Nicole, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, I just want to put this slide up because it's got your email address on it yeah. and the website of, of SEN Legal that you work for. Um, I, I, are you happy for, for anyone that's on this call to get in touch with you and to, yeah. to, to ping you some questions? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, alternatively, if they want to go onto the website and get our contact details, what they can do as well is um, phone the office um, and book in for a courtesy call. So we offer 15 minute courtesy calls. Um, so if it's something that they would rather discuss, which can be easier actually, because you can ask the questions to get the information that you need. Um, they're more than welcome to do that as well. Oh, that's awesome. So thank you. That's, um, I know that I, I know seeing some of the names on this, on, on this um, webinar this evening, I know there'll be some people who will be very keen to speak with you. So, so thank you for that time. Um, Nicole, just so, so just to say, thank you so much for your time this evening. I've, I've certainly um, appreciated asking you some questions from things that have popped up with my discussions with parents. Um, there's lots of questions come through. I, I will be sending you these questions anyway, just so that if, if any of the parents do get in touch with you, then you'll, you'll see names and so forth, and you maybe can pick that up. Um, so um, thank you so much. Lovely, lovely to be speaking with you this evening, and thank you for taking the time out. You're most welcome, and thanks um, to you for organising it, and to everyone for attending as well. Um, giving up your evenings I do appreciate it and I really really hope you found it helpful oh that's wonderful thank you Nicole um, to the rest of you and um, the delegates on this call thank you so much for joining us and um, I just wanted to encourage you to say that if you um, are not part of my parenting dyslexia um, community um, I'd encourage you to go to this um, URL here um, and subscribe and I, and particularly when you subscribe, check the parent box because um, everyone who checks that box gets all the specific parenting resources that I put together. Um, what is coming up down the line is uh, an online training course on supporting your child with their self-esteem and dyslexia. Um, I've got to put a title to it. Yeah, it's going to be along the lines of a parent toolkit for self-esteem and dyslexia. If you're interested in that, then um, I, if you subscribe, then I'll, I'll let you know when that, when that becomes live. But certainly uh, I'll send you an invite to my Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, there's, there's 2,000 parents almost on, on that group. Um, sharing ideas and, and sharing comments and so forth. Um, there are a number of experts on that group as well who I've chosen because I trust them um, and they're not there to give a sales pitch, they want to help. So um, so those people are there and I often will see a question and I'll, I'll get you in touch with the right people. So um, please do subscribe to that um, if you feel that's appropriate. 
Um, so yes, yeah, so thank you so much. Um, I'm going to close this call down now. I can't believe that we're just about, well, we've just gone over by a minute. Thank you for taking the time out this evening to, to listen to Nicole. Uh, thanks again to Nicole. And um, I'll see you on the next webinar.